You ever wonder how it is that people come to believe bad and evil ideas? Today, here at Kingdom of the Logos, we're going to have a conversation about the psychology of believing evil. We're going to talk about everything from laugh tracks to jealousy and even the history of Pavlov's dog and the scientist who would ring a bell to get the dogs to salivate. So thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And Pastor Mike, would you open up in prayer for us today? Absolutely. Almighty God, as we gather here today, we thank you so much for uh, your blessings that you have placed upon us in life. And Lord, we just pray for your spirit to rest upon Pastor Amanda and Pastor Dylan and myself. Also, dear Lord, we pray for your spirit to rest upon each and every one who is streaming and watching. And Lord, uh, be with them. Help us all look to uh, a conversation where it points us and draws us to you. So, dear Lord, we ask for you to bless this time we have together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So as creatures, we are hardwired to be religious. We need something that tells us the hell to repulse and something that tells us the good to admire, the heaven to desire. And there are a lot of ways that people can come to believe that absolute good is evil and evil is absolutely good. And today we're going to look at a variety of things. We've got three segments we're going to put together. And for the first one, I want to open up with this story of Pavlov's dog. Now, you may not be familiar with this. I've done a few programs and preachings and sermons on it here recently, but let me get everybody up to speed. There was a scientist, and he would take his dogs, and he wanted to study human behavior. And what he did with his dogs is Pavlov would ring a bell before he fed the dog. And as he did this, the dog's brain learned that it would salivate for food at the sound of the bell. You know, I've got a dog. Amanda's got a dog. Pastor Mike's got a dog. A lot of times dogs will start drooling when they know they're about to eat. They see you with a nice treat and they want some of it, they drool. Well, with these dogs, they were drooling at the sound of the bell, not the sight of the food. And what so was what was so unique about this is the bell was thinking for the dogs rather than the dogs thinking themselves. Instead of the dog's mind saying, Hey, there's a nice treat over there, there's my next meal. Instead, the bell was giving them information that their brain wasn't actually picking up. And the world wants us to be like Pavlov's dogs, where we're uncertain about everything. We don't know what to think. We're waiting for something in the world to come along and tell us it's okay to think something. It's now okay to believe this or that. This is how you should think. This is how you operate. And this is a terrible, terrible thing. It doesn't always happen with food, and quite often it happens with other things, but the world wants you to be like Pavlov's dog, where you're just waiting for that bell and you start salivating. You leap into action and you talk about whatever the world wants you to talk about. And this is something which was even prevalent in Jesus' time. And Jesus actually spent some time teaching about this. And in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 17, Jesus says, To what shall I compare this generation? You're like children crying out in the seat. And here, crying out in the street, excuse me. Got some weird looks in the studio when I misspoke there. But... And verse 17 is really where you find the Pavlov dog concept. In verse 17, Jesus says, and <clears throat> y'all forgive me, we played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance. We wailed and you would not mourn. That is the psychology of Pavlov's dog. The world wants to play a flute and have you dance. The world wants to wail and have you mourn. This happens all over the place. And Jesus quite clearly articulates in the upcoming verses, you cannot beat this. You cannot beat the world at its own game. 
And this happens everywhere we're at in society. In the next two verses of Matthew 11, Jesus says, John, he came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, he has a demon. When the son of man came and he would eat and drink, they said, behold, a gluttonous man and a heavy drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus sums all of this up by telling us the antidote. He says, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. In other words, let the truth have its day. Don't just be bowing down whenever the world wants you to. And just to show us how much this is true that we operate like this, I want us to think about television. We have laugh tracks and clap tracks in a lot of TV shows. Whenever these sounds come through the television, you know, as odd as it seems for somebody to enter in a doorway and suddenly there's laughter or clapping when somebody walks into a room, the television does this because the world knows we generally form opinions and ideas based on how other people react. You know, the dog and its saliva and all this stuff is connected to reacting to the bell. When we see other people laugh, laughter is contagious. We hear that laughter, and whether or not something's funny, we tend to start laughing, even if we don't get the joke. And this is something which is really important for us to understand because this is the psychology of how often people come to believe bad and even evil ideas, how they come to conflate the good and the evil. So I'm going to let somebody else come in. Y'all tell me what your thoughts are about this, because we're going to come to Revelation 13 here in a moment, but somebody else jump in. Well, I think uh, obviously we see that happening not only in the first century, but we see it happening today for sure. And, uh, you know, at, at one time when, when we were going through uh, school uh, to become pastors, you know, it was still um, a few people that received the newspaper, but that was one of the things I said, you know, you need to have your Bible in one hand, the newspaper in the other. But now we've li- we've we've kind of gravitated, or whether we wanted to or not, that we've been pulled in this place where a lot of times we see media, whether it's probably not the newspaper, but through television or news networks or whatever, that they're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week in some homes, unfortunately, and that is so depressing. But a friend of mine uh, was uh, was making uh, an. Uh, a statement saying that he had been watching the headlines on this in different uh, news organizations, some conservative, some liberal. It didn't matter, but their 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 con. What he discovered there in their content was they kept using aggressive language on so and so rips somebody on the other side of the aisle. Someone destroys this one, and all of these aggressive terms that was really promoting people and dividing people to come together um, from a bipartisan standpoint and to to, what was good. But there was so much destruction language in that. To to the point you have there, this goes back to the, that's a form of a laugh track or a clap track. Mm -hmm. If you can write a headline in such a way that has a reaction to it, like, oh, somebody blasted somebody. Blasted was another word. Mm -hmm. And... What you're doing is you're reacting to whatever they did. And other people, they see that. And even though they may not realize it, they hear that word blasted and they've they've observed a reaction and they mimic that. People generally mimic the reactions of other people. We're just naturally wired to do this. Mm -hmm. And even when we don't realize we're mimicking other people, we do. And a lot of times we form our opinions and ideas and we think, you know, this is how I feel about it. This is my thought. When really you're actually mimicking the world. You're responding to the Pavlov dog bell more than you're actually thinking for yourself. And that's a really, it's a disturbing thing about 
our fallen nature. And, you know, we read this scripture. Jesus is telling us this is the truth of your fallen sin. You need to be freed from that because if you're not careful, you will just be waiting for the flute and waiting for the wailing sound. Well, and that's what Jason was saying. He said, you know, you know, he said he got to looking at the story here and he said that really wasn't what was happening. It was yeah. something that they had twisted in here because they were, you know, somewhat programming and, and uh, uh, someone that when they hear this, their emotions get it very much involved and want to hear into the story. And but, but there's a downside to that. It's not just hearing the story, but it's such a negative context that's going on that it pulls you into. And so, you know, as this pastor, I've been trying to encourage my folks not to, um, you know, limit yourself to limit yourself to, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes of news at the most all day um, for that very reason. <clears throat> yeah. Pastor Mena. You know, I was kind of thinking as, as you two were talking and discussing this and our reactions, I remember uh, one of my classes where language acquisition, we talked about uh, accents are pretty well solidified, but I think we're a year or two old. And yet what they find in a lot of people is that uh, when you're around people who speak a certain accent, you begin to mimic that accent, even though uh, your own accent is solidified. And it's a defense mechanism. And I think that's really what we're talking about also here, this reaction to, to looking around the world around us and be like, okay, what is everyone doing? Everyone's doing A or everyone's anti doing A. And therefore, if I'm going to survive in this world, I have to follow the crowd. And this is, I think also, um, so our, our the text I'm going to preach about this Sunday is the in Mark where Jesus heals the the man possessed by legion. And the demons try to save themselves by going into the pigs. And this is, this is what evil does, right? It tries to save itself. It tries yeah. to deceive others around it. It tries to get us all on the, the same page um, in a sense so then it can consume us. And it points us to this one end and kind of the story, Mike, you're talking about if we can all be divided, and it doesn't matter really what we're divided on, um, but if we can just all be divided, then yeah. we can never be whole. Yep. And, and and this is the thing. And again, like, I think it's funny. A lot of sitcoms, a lot of shows and movies are moving away from laugh tracks and clap tracks. But then they've changed that by do, using music or yeah. if there's ever a beat in the conversation. Um, if you watch a lot of like kind of nerdy shows and all of a sudden there's a strange pause, it's generally because they're like, oh, look, there's an Easter egg. And they're, they're trying to get you to see that. And so even if we move away from laugh track and clap tracks, there's this natural inclination to be like, OK, everyone has to get to the same thought the same way. And, and just be consumed by this one singular thought and not think beyond it. Yeah, there really is the way of life and the way of death. You cannot escape the truth of the fallen psychology. The, the depraved creatures that we are, you can't escape that. Well, you know, that's exactly what Jesus is saying there. John comes one way and, you know, you, you, you say this about him. Uh, I come and, and, and do what you say John ought to be doing, and then you say this. And so there's no way to please the enemy. They just want to come and destroy. And, and that is something we need to take seriously. You cannot defeat this by playing on the world's terms. You cannot outsmart this psychology. You won't because it's not honestly here to do anything genuine. It's here to scam you. And just kind of going back to something we talked about with the news earlier, one of the things which has definitely happened in our society is, in the past, news was produced in response to world events. 
We can clearly see with the coming of the internet, with the whole era of blogging, social media, me putting out my post on my website, and us having a thousand writers who are full-time employed and they've got to put out something every day because we don't want our websites to be empty and have low traffic. The news is now on the front end of the politics. In other words, mm -hmm. politics is done to generate a headline. Rather than the headline being done to tell something about politics, now the politics is done because I want the news to say this about me, or I want this over there. It's, it's gotten convoluted and backwards, and rather than anything actually pursuing truth or trying to build things up, it's how do I control the public perception of this hour, and who cares what happens five minutes down the road? Uh, it's selling your, your birthright if you're Esau that says, you know, I'm hungry right now. I want the clicks right now. I want the attention right now. I want to feel good right now. But you can't win at it. Well, it's, it's the bell ringing that causes one to salivate. It's truly manipulation that uh, we've constantly been programmed one way or another by, by the tremendous amount of information that is coming in. Just, uh, it's unreal. Yeah. Pastor Minnie, you have something? Uh, no, I, I don't know. If okay. I did, it, it's left me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well, let's let's jump to Revelation 13. Okay. Sorry, I thought I thought I saw the cue next to you out of the corner of my eye. Oh, um, going to Revelation 13, I think this is why people actually worship the beast. Now, again, mm. I don't have all the answers of Scripture. There's a lot in Revelation for sure. But when the beast comes out of the sea, every time I read this, there seems to be two incongruent things at first. And what we're talking about now actually reconciles them and makes the story make sense. The beast is described really bizarre, you know, all these horns, all these diadems, all this gross dis, dis, disfigurement. And while we get some angels that are given these bizarre reactions, a lot of times people see the, the angels and are afraid of them. But the beast comes out of the sea and nobody's really afraid of it. But also when you look in the scripture, it doesn't say why it's here. It comes up out of the shore. There's no laugh track. In horror movies, there's no... You know, the scream track. In horror movies, they have the razor blade across the piano string that makes the bad sounds. You have those low, rumbling, ambient soy noises, the stompings and stuff like that in the hallway. But when the beast comes out of the sea, there's no crowd to clap for it. There's no screaming music. There's no soundtrack to it. It just comes out of the, the sea, and it's like, yeah, this is normal. Weren't mm -hmm. you expecting me? It's like, you know, 4 p.m. This is my appointment. And because it acts so ordinary... The whole world worships it. There's no reaction to the beast like it's a monster, and therefore people worship it. Now, that's not the entirety of it all, of course, but I do think that is a large portion of it because throughout the course of Scripture, we see a lot of times people going along with stuff based on the reactions they either do see or don't see. When Jesus comes into town, there's a few people who say, oh, this is... The king, Hosanna, we get out our palm branches, and suddenly everybody gets their palm branches out, and they're ready to have Palm Sunday. But a week later, the officials, they react to Jesus as if he's guilty of insurrection. And the same people who five minutes ago were waving palm branches, they put down the palm branches and say, crucify him. The people over there reacted like he's an insurrectionist, so he must be. Let's go do it. Hmm. And they crucify Jesus. The mob whips itself up and crucifies Jesus. And it is a convoluted heap of evil that is largely dictated by the psychology prescribed to us in Matthew 11, verse 17. We played for the, the flute for you, wanting you to dance. We wailed, wanting you to mourn. And it's, it's, it's crazy because evil controls people based on the reactions they see. 
You know, you were talking about the, the beasts coming out, the horns and how all of this, but you know, the horns are the symbol of power. And, and uh, let's understand that uh, uh, the information um, being given and how it's processed and, and literally programmed, it does bring that division. It does bring that sense that this power is something to be reckoned with. And, and you know, I think there's uh, something about us that, that we even see in Jesus' time that when, when power and authority is threatened of the individual, they will act in, in hideous ways. And we're seeing that with the, in the first century when those rulers, whether they be Roman rulers or scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, Jewish rulers, when their authority and power is threatened, they turn completely on Jesus and ignore all the good that is going on yeah. because of their own selfish desires. And that beast is already there among all of that, and we see that today as well. There is many good things that are happening uh, that the church and God is doing through the church, but what what's happened is, is you've seen um, anything that, that will um, that has authority and power threatened will try to uh, destroy that. Yeah. Well, let's just kind of wrap this segment up. We're going to come back to this theme in our third segment, but I do want to just close with this thought. There are two ways, the way of life, the way of death. You cannot escape this by using the world's terms. Mm. And we, we just have to be aware of that. We should pay attention whenever something is given to us with a built-in reaction or even without one. Because like the beast, sometimes there's no reaction at all, and that's to make you feel comfortable with it, that it's not that big of a deal. Oh, we're, we're just here to, you know, do terrible things to you and your children, but it's okay. So we'll be back. We're going to talk about in St. Maximilian. So thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Lagos. All right, so we're going to talk about St. Maximilian, who lived in the 3rd century. And just to put some years next to that, he lived from the year 274 till 295, and he died at the age 21. I want us to look at how he stood up to a world that wanted him to bow down to things that were wicked. He lived in the time of the Emperor Diocletian. And if you're not familiar with who Diocletian is, he was the Roman Emperor who had made a point of his existence to crush the church. One of his chief interests was to use the whole, farce, the whole forces of the, the Roman structure, their military, their laws, everything, to try to crush the church. They even made it an entertainment to take Christians and have them you know, killed in lengthy, torturous things in the amphitheater. We have our movie passes in America, in the modern world, where you pay a certain amount, you go see so many movies a month. They were doing this in the ancient world. You pay a flat fee once a month or once a week, and you can see so many Christians tortured to death as you want. And this is, this is the context of, of when Maximilian lived. And I wish I had some pictures to pull up of Maximilian. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of artwork depicting him. But for young men, it was compulsory that you did military service. 
Now, this becomes a problem if you're a Christian because what they're wanting you to do largely is not just go be part of the military that's going to try to even protect the, the state or something like that. It's largely you're going to be using the governmental force against your own Christian family. Christianity is outlawed in this time. Men are required to be a part of something that directly and violently harms their families. So Maximilian, he refused enlistment into the Roman army, saying, I cannot serve, I cannot do evil, I am a Christian. And so what I'd like for us to do is I want us to read this transcript because we actually have a recording of his day in court. And would somebody volunteer to read Dion's part? Yeah, Pastor Mike, Dion. you will? Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to read Maximilian's part, and Pastor Mike is going to read Dion, and we're going to jump into this conversation. So Maximilian, he says, I cannot serve because I cannot do evil. I am a Christian. Well, you must serve or die. I will never serve. You can cut off my head, but I will not be a soldier for this world, for I am a soldier for Christ. My army is the army of God, and I cannot fight for this world. Again, I tell you, I am a Christian. There are Christian soldiers serving our rulers, Diocletian, Maximin, Constantius, and Galileus. That is their business. I also am a Christian, and I cannot serve. But what harm do soldiers do? You know well enough. If you do not do your service, I shall condemn you to death for contempt of the army. I shall not die. If I go from this earth, my soul will live with Christ my Lord. And with that, they did. They executed Maximilian on the spot. I believe he was beheaded, as history best records it. And his father was there and watched all of this happen. And his father walked away from the execution site joyful, thanking God that he had been able to offer such a gift to heaven. Mm. Now, just to put this in some context of things we're familiar with, we just come out of February. We have St. Valentine's Day there on February 14th. Valentine, he lived in the same era. Valentine died in 269, so he died a little bit before Maximilian was born, but it's the same era, generally, of, of Roman history. St. Valentine, the reason why he's associated with marrying people and sort of romantic courtship love is largely due to the fact that the Roman military was being used to try to crush the church. And you wonder how in the world is marriage and crushing the church related? Well, Rome knew that men that were married did not make very good soldiers because they were more interested in being faithful to their wives and their children. So if you were married, you were not required to serve in the Roman military. So a lot of Christians, people like St. Valentine, they would marry young couples so the men didn't have to go off and, and do terrible things against their brothers and sisters in Christ. So that happened, and that's really the history of this. And I just thought it's good to, to share the story of, of Maximilian and somebody who stands up to evil and the world tries to scam him. You know, they try to bring the reaction here that we talked about in the first segment. Dion says, well, there are others who serve in the army. You know, what evil do they do? He, he reacts to it as if it's innocent. He ignores the fact that they're a lot of times being commanded to go beat and kill their, their families murderously. Pastor Amanda, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, well, and I think we can easily very quickly pick up that Dion, uh, really the Roman Empire uh, it's working under some very faulty logic. And I, I think it is only the, the Holy Spirit um, 
the grace of God, sanctification, that gives Maximilian uh, the words to say, because Diane wants to argue, right, in the world's logic. Well, there's other people who do it. Well, you know, what harm do you really think we're going to ask you to commit? And and I think I know personally, I would just, I, it, I would be hard pressed not to just try to battle that person with that kind of bad logic. Like just spend yeah. time going, oh, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And Diane just, or uh, Maximilian, just very graciously is like, I'm not playing your games. I've yeah. told you the truth. The truth is I'm not going to participate in systems that hurt others. And that's it. And that's the line in the sand. And uh, he won't play Diane's games. He yeah. won't give in to that temptation to stoop to his level. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's quite beautiful. And Maximilian knows what this will cost him. I mean, he says, you can cut off my head and I'm still not going to serve, which I think is f- almost humorous because it's almost as if like, well, what else are they going to do with a de- like a beheaded body? <laughs> like, obviously you're not serving the military if they behead you, but very seriously, he knew what this would cost him. And, you know, I was also thinking, I thought when you said Diocletian, I was like, that name sounds f- familiar. Why do I know that? This is also around the time uh, that St. Nicholas is living in. I think he was a, uh, maybe a little bit older uh, than than Maximilian, but he, a little bit younger than Valentine. But uh, I believe uh, Nicholas survived in his younger years, survived the Diocletian um, oppression. And you have all this like great history that is happening in this time, but it's happening in the midst of also great evil. And there are people who are willing to call evil evil and pursue what is good. And for Maximilian, it cost him his life. For uh, St. Nicholas, he was able to survive that. Yeah. Um, and But regardless of how long they lived, they dedicated their life to pursuing what was true and good. And that trueness and goodness saw itself in these life-giving acts, even though it cost them their life. Sure. You know, I think uh, also in this short dialogue that we just went through, you know, there's there's a lot of things to be gleaned from that. But one of the things is, is you know, that that the world or or Dion, he he tries to bring him into a place of, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, condemning other Christians. He said, well, there's Christians already in the in the army, and and he says, and I am also a Christian, and he doesn't go to the place of where the world often wants us to go to attack our brothers and sisters. And, you know, perhaps they don't don't believe or do the way he does, but he says, I am at a place in my spiritual journey where I cannot, and I will not even attack my brothers and sisters who may not be there. And, um, you know, I think that's a very mature statement even to say that kind of goes with it. And, you know, even the, the part... Um, that really wasn't a part, but where his father had made these comments that the the family is extremely important here. Uh, you can see that as, a, as just in that small clip of um, um, that we we went through. Yeah, and there's a couple of things here too. Maximilian he doesn't give in to the laugh track. The laugh track wants him to take the bait and you know argue on what others are doing or something like that. He doesn't give in to the laugh track. He doesn't give in to the neutralness. And even if you don't know the history of Diocletian, the emperor persecuting Christians, the whole premise, you know, it's, it's in the name soldier. Um, there's obviously a certain expectation that some amount of harm can come from that. So don't give me the the whole 
grift of, well, you know, what do they do? Like, obviously... How much harm can a soul... You're the freaking Roman army. Like, you are well known for being a conquering force. And, like, I mean, specifically in that context, it's really against the Roman citizens or people already under the Roman uh, thumb. But, again, like, this is not, like... This isn't... I can't even think yeah, it, of an example, but I mean, it's not like a human, it's not UNICEF coming to you and be like, we're going to force you to be a doctor without border. It's like, no, this, this is a judge coming to you and telling you, this is what the army does. You have to be a part of it. This yeah. is what our, our conquering forces are doing. Oh, but, but we won't actually ask you to harm someone. Like that would be like joining the first order and being a stormtrooper and be like, why am I shooting at the rebels? Like one plus one equals two here, people. Yeah. And and another thing, too, this reminds me of John chapter 9, where you have the blind man, and they really try to get him to take the bait and answer for stuff that is beyond his control largely. Here, Maximian's like, I'm, I'm not answering for them. That's their business. But the blind man in John chapter 9, they, they come to him and they say things like, well, you know, we know that this man is a sinner, and you need to tell us what really happened. And he's like, this I know. I was blind, and now I, I see. see. Yeah. Do you want to become his disciples too? Like he he turns the tables on him. He doesn't go along with the laugh track. He doesn't go along with the the scream track from a horror movie or whatnot. <laughs> he rejects it, and he says, "Look, this is the truth. Deal with it." You know, there's a complete element here too, where there's there's no freedom. You're going to serve regardless. And you know, the the gospel is freeing, and it frees us to make uh, to think and to have the mind of Christ. And, and you know, obviously in this situation, there is no choice. There is no uh, freedom. Yeah, I guess you can say there is a, a choice. Either you do it or you, or you're, or you get killed. And, uh, but uh, to make a long story short, the gospel frees us from those things that hold us in bondage and keep us from making, um, you know, godly decisions. Well, and I think to your point, the world says we can hold this over your head. Sorry, I was talking off to the side to Mike. The world says we can hold this over your head and say we will kill you if you don't follow us. And and Jesus is just like, huh, I've already conquered death. You can't even, the world can't even hold that against us. The world yeah. can't even control that. And and that's what, that's what Maximilian then responds. He says, you can't even kill me because yeah. even if I die, I live forever. Right. Like you... You, the the world has no power. Now, that yeah. doesn't mean it, it cannot hurt us and influence us and be a very destructive force. But it, in the end, and even before the end, ultimately our power doesn't rest in what the world thinks it can or can't do. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is gospel, right? This is Jesus coming and saying, you know, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the Sustainer. I am the Word. It, whatever the world thinks it can do, I have done and conquered and gotten the T-shirt. Like it, it, it's, it is phenomenal. And man, our our world is a mess today. And it also amazes me how much we want to say like we're in unprecedented times. Like, have you read a history book? Yeah. yeah. Every time's unprecedented, but. Our God still conquers. Yeah, absolutely. Victory language. The same thing that happens with Maximilian is the same thing you find in Joshua 24, where Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. The light will ask you that question. Then you'll have other times where Nebuchadnezzar comes along in Daniel 3.15. You will bow down when you hear the sound of the orchestra. 
You hear the sound of the lyre, trigon, the whole musical ensemble. If you bow down and worship the golden statue that I have made, all is well and good. But if you do not bow down and worship the golden statue that I have made, you will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. And who is the God that will save you now? Of course, Jesus. Story kind of answers that question, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And Jesus, the gospel comes to us and asks that question. Mm. But then so does the beast there in Revelation 13. You either bow down and worship me or that's it. You're conquered. You're dead. You're destroyed. You're killed. We have to realize, this time back into our earlier conversation, you cannot beat this game by being passive with it. You cannot beat it by being passive with it. There's no way to wrestle with this and come out on top. The only way you can defeat it is to reject it. And this, the more we recognize that on the front end, the more we can keep our society from getting to that point. Mm-hmm. You, you keep yourself from getting to the point where you have a Diocletian, but right now, a lot of people in our world aren't interested in truth. They're not interested in telling things honestly, but they're, they're more interested in gotcha questions and just a lot of destructive stuff. And our society is designed to the point where we're basically sitting around with a big funnel and just sucking in all the chaos. If you remember the sitcom from the 90s, Dinosaurs, it's hilarious. It's a Jim Henson thing with puppets. There's an episode where the baby dinosaur and... Even though it is dinosaur puppets, it's geared more towards adults. It's an adult show, though it's not terribly profane. But there's an episode where the baby, the food in the refrigerator wants to, to prank the baby and make the baby's life wild. And so they, they take the baby and they, they put a funnel in his mouth and just pour sugar straight into the baby. <laughs> They're pouring cookies down inside there and just making him off the charts insane. Well, that's how we are now. Mm. We sit and we consume news, we consume social media, we consume stuff all the time that's not designed to be even what it pretends to be. Hmm. It's just, you know, the journalist has to write something. So they found something to write about and now it's truth and now you need to be worked up about it. It's like, come on, it's fake. Who cares? Yeah. Alrighty. Well, no, I I just think differentiation is always a good task because there is evil out there. There are evil things that happen. There's bad things that happen. There are good things that happen. There are inconsequential things that happen. And and the whole gambit between zero and and a million and infinity are things that happen in our world. Um, But we have to have God-given wisdom to sort through it. Otherwise, we are just going to be like that little baby consumed by sugar bouncing off the walls and then we're like why is our life so chaotic well again one plus one people one plus one all right so we'll be back we've got a another segment we're going to look at Acts chapter five and jealousy the psychology of that too so thank you we'll be back here in a moment Alrighty, we're coming back together. So we're going to talk about jealousy because it has an interesting psychology too. Jealousy is a sin that oftentimes is successful at masking itself as something other than what it is. Mm. Take, for instance, lust. When people are lusting after something, we, we think that it's an, a perversion of affection or something like that. Sometimes people are aware that they're lustful. When you're robbing something, if you're a robber, a bandit, a thief, you generally have some self-awareness. You, you've just made your peace with the fact that I'm doing something simple. When somebody's murdering someone, 
They're, they're pretty well in tune with the fact that I'm, I'm taking a life right here. Jealousy is something which is quite interesting because people become jealous, oftentimes without self-awareness of realizing that jealousy is what's taken hold of them. In fact, there are many times jealousy justifies itself to a person as being something good. It feels good to be jealous. And a lot of times jealousy has some truth mixed in with its, its corruptive schemes. Jealousy tends to make a person believe they're drinking medicine when in fact they're drinking poison. It comes along to someone and says, hey, your life is not whole. Your life has some problems in it. And that person over there, they've got their life a little bit better. There's something they have over there. And the reason why your life is not so good is because of the fault of others. If you had what they had, your life would be better. And you know, there's some truth to that. If you've got better tools, it's easier to do work. If you've got you know, more skills in a certain area, it's easier to do that task. There is some truth that we have different talents. We, we look different. We have different skills. We have different gifts and graces and things like that. But the lie comes in saying that your soul, the quality of your life, is ultimately determined by the factors of other people. Mm. And jealousy, it ignores the truth of how we actually achieve the good, the true, and the beautiful. And it comes along and it tells a person that if you could just take what someone else had, then you would, in fact, achieve goodness. And I'm going to be honest. Jealousy generally feels good. You feel like you're, you're on to something. You're like, yeah, I've solved the problem. The reason why my life is, is bad is because I'm missing this. So I want us to look at Acts chapter 5, where we see Peter. He's out preaching the gospel, preaching in the name of Jesus, doing wonderful miracles. And the church with him is being very prosperous. And the officials have decided that they're going to ban speaking in the name of Jesus. And when they see Peter in the church doing this, they say, well, go out there and arrest him. Arrest the Christians and bring him in. And in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, we see the destructive power of jealousy. And let me read these two verses to it, and I'll explain how it has successfully masked itself as something else. Verse 17 says of Acts chapter 5, But the high priest stood up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public prison. Now, the reason why I wanted to read these two verses is the scripture clearly tells us the operative sin is jealousy. In verse 18, it shows us what the world would see. Hmm. If you were in the world at this time, what you would see, what the news articles would say, is the officials came and arrested some lawbreakers. They sell what they're doing as justice, when in fact, it is jealousy. And jealousy does this all the time. You can covet that someone else looks better than you. They're a better athlete. They got more money. They got a better house. We covet all sorts of things. But a lot of times we tell ourselves that it's not covetousness that we feel. It's, in fact, something else. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. Well, and I think this is the amazing thing, her amazing, so maybe not the right word. Um, this is the fascinating thing about specifically the sin of jealousy is that it tricks so well. It tricks, we trick ourselves. Yeah. Um, because I think there were some aware enough people, religious leaders and Sadducees or Pharisees and whoever, that they knew that it was jealousy. They knew they were jealous. They knew that they were acting out of spite or anger or fear and that it was not right how they were reacting to, well, 
Peter or even earlier to Jesus. But I also think there was probably a great many of them, wise people, smart people. And yet they had given themselves over to this idea of what the kingdom would look like, how God was going to act. And when it came through means they didn't expect, when it really didn't come through their means, the way they wanted it to happen, then they they reacted out of this jealousy and they thought they had to protect themselves. Yeah. They had to protect their religion. They had to yeah. protect their their people. And, you know, there's a certain extent it's good to have some, you know, self-preservation. Those are good instincts to listen to. But where they get out of whack is where we are willing to consume others, destroy others. And we see that. And I think what's interesting here is they just killed Jesus. Like, it's not been that long ago. It's only been a couple of months at this point, I think. Um where Jesus has died, is resurrected. And they thought that was going to end this, right? The disciples were going to scatter. This was nothing but a group of, you know, radicals that were trying to uh, take all the power from the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or whoever, whatever's. And they were going to protect Israel. And fascinatingly enough, it doesn't work for them um, because they had given into the lie, whether they knew it was a lie or not. And I think, again, that's the intimidating thing about jealousy is it it even lies to us we lie to ourselves and we do it's okay like you said it's like this is justice this is peace uh this is uh goodness and again to pull back to our first conversation wisdom will be vindicated by her actions you you can't keep peace by oppressing people there can't be goodness by hurting people like there, there cannot be beauty and truth and life if you're going to crucify people. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, this is, I'm trying to put everything in the right order in my brain, but I, I think we're not far from the text either. We're a little before, or a little after, where they'll have, um, they'll behead James. Yeah. I, I mean, so this is not just, again, they crucified Jesus and they're turning around to crucify or to kill the rest of his disciples. This is not life. This is not, you know, Bless are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. This is not exemplifying that kind of God in this behavior. Yeah, it is It is exemplifying death. Mm. And we haven't got to that moment just yet with, with some of the apostles, but that is brewing. They've killed Jesus. They're, they are definitely trading in death. Now, to go back to the point you made there, that there are going to be some people who have self-awareness and some that don't. And this is, this is something which actually makes things so much more evil. Mm. Job 5.2 says, jealousy brings death to the simple. A lot of times we'll look at a situation and say, well, some people have self-awareness. Some people are acting because they earnestly believe it. But in truth, in the end, it is actually a very simple operation because the worst traits of humanity win. Mm. Yes, there are different feelings. There are different individuals that make up a mob. But the sad truth about mobs is they they do some monolithic evil. They all get together. They all raise their their fists together. They they grab their clubs or whatever it may be. And ultimately, they demand crucify him to the Lord. Jealousy, whether self-aware or masked at something else, it becomes the dominant behavior. And it is something which is remarkably simple, even though You do have some people who have self-awareness, others which won't. But the sad truth is the psychology takes us to a point where we all mesh together in the worst possible trait, and it all leads to destruction. 
Pastor Mike? Well, you know, I think one of the uh, key elements that we need to always be reminded of as Christians that love is something that should, uh, especially Christ-like love, should be at the center of who, uh, how we react to anything. And so one definition of love is seeking the best for the other uh, without any benefit to yourself. And so when you see this jealousy, uh, the only people that they're in mind of is not the good teachings of Jesus, not the good things that, that God is doing through the apostles, but they are more concerned about themselves and only benefit for themselves. And so that is a, you know, it is a terrible, terrible place to be. And, and this is not just something that is that is happening then, but that danger is something that every person is uh, you know tempted with and so we have to stay focused on loving and uh, and again you ha- you can you can ask yourself does this benefit the person or is it benefiting me why what is the what is the thought process here but we see a very uh, you know the people that are receiving the good news and seeing life transformation they don't care about them either it's not just the apostles but this is a very uh, broad sweep of the stroke of, of uh, hurt for people. The only people that, that they see as being, uh, you know, that need anything is themselves. And that's that's always terrible. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap up our program there. So we hope you've enjoyed this examination of the psychology of evil and how people can be led to go along with wicked things, to come to where they actually believe them. You know, a lot of times it does start, it's just listening to the soundtrack listening to the laughs, the claps. Sometimes you know you're jealous, and then you yourself change to where you start believing that maybe the jealousy wasn't there. Maybe I was right all along that it's somebody else's fault that my life's miserable. All this stuff is very destructive. So any final thoughts as we wrap up our program today? Pastor Mike, do you have a final thought? I usually begin with Amanda. Well, you know, in in the day and age that we live, uh, springtime is just around the corner. We're in the Lenten season. Uh, you know, we're here in Tennessee where we've had um, warm weather, we've had snow, and we've had flooding all within about three or four days, it seems <laughs> like. But, you know, there there is, with all of these different seasonal changes and things that are just so uh, happening from one way to one day to the next, I think it's just outstanding to to sometimes just to take a take a moment to see God at work in the nature around us. And uh, I just want to encourage everyone to do that. And I know I've done that uh, a couple of days ago and uh, as the sun started coming out. What a what a joy that is. Sometimes you've got to just go out and look at the stars. Thank sure. God yeah. for the creation. Yep. Absolutely. No, Pastor I, Amanda? Yeah, I couldn't think what my final thought was. I, th- I had one prepared and it left me. But when Pastor Mike said that, I think there is, and also as we're talking about this over-consuming world we live in that just wants to, tell us how to think and how to feel and it there is time and a good time to just take a break and that is healthy i mean how arrogant are we to think that like jesus himself had to take a break like why would we think we don't need that um so yeah take a moment listen to nature listen to uh calming music you know just exist I know Justin and I, my husband and I, we spent probably a good 10 minutes just watching our dog sleep last night just because it just was calming. And we just needed to be a family and not talk and not argue, not 
have even conversations about anything that's going on in the world just to exist and know our God has created us to have life and life everlasting and that is good amen amen and my final thought if you follow some of the stuff that we put out I make what's called the Bronco Bible study and I used to do that as a segment and portion of, of content here on Kingdom of the Logos. However, I've branched that off into its entire new channel. I'm looking to invest more in that where I take, whether it be the Bronco itself and repair it. The Bronco is going to be the general template and backdrop of the videos. So it's going to be there and it's come a long way. It's about to get a new interior and front end. I've got all the body parts and stuff to get that going. But I've also got some other projects I've brought along. I've worked on Dad's truck once before there and now there's a Mercury Lynx diesel. <laughs> Yes, you didn't think you needed a 1984 Mercury Lynx diesel, but check out the new video out there and you'll find it. So there's a new channel that's up called the Bronco Bible Study. It's going to be its own thing where it looks at cars in the biblical worldview. So that's where we'll end. Thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. God love you and have a blessed day.